If I can invite you to hear with me now this morning's scripture reading, which comes from the book of Philemon, verses 8 through 25. Paul writes this, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to command to you to do the right thing, I would rather appeal to you through love. I, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith during my time in prison. He was useless to you before, but now he is useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, which is like sending you my own heart. I considered keeping him with me so that he might serve me in your place during my time in prison because of the gospel. However, I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your act of kindness would occur willingly and not under pressure. Maybe this is the reason that Onesimus was separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. That is, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially a dearly loved brother to me. How much more can he become a brother to you personally and spiritually in the Lord? So if you really consider me a partner, welcome Onesimus as if you were welcoming me. If he has harmed you in any way or owes you any money, charge it to my account. I, Paul, will pay it back to you. I'm writing this with my own hand. Of course, I won't mention that you owe me your life. Yes, brother, I want this favor from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I'm writing to you confident of your obedience and knowing that you will do more than what I ask. Also, one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me. I hope that I will be released from prison to be with you because of your prayers. Epaphras, who is in prison with me for the cause of Christ Jesus, greets you, as well as my co-workers Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. May the Lord of, of Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning, before I begin, I just want to take a moment to reinforce and to remind you of the Lent opportunities that we're going to have uh, starting on Ash Wednesday. In fact, the Lent sermon series will start on Ash Wednesday. So if you're unable to join us, I encourage you to go back and look. It'll be live feed. We'll also load the podcast on the website and make the sermon available. But this Wednesday, we're going to be beginning the sermon series where we look at the different places of the Passion. And this Wednesday, we'll be looking at the city of Jerusalem. And as we look at it, we're going to be talking and thinking about the ways that, that Jesus went to these places and the ways that God worked in each of these places. As Jesus spent his final days and his final hours and so we'll go to the locations as we look at them today, many of them pictures. I have a few videos that we can show. We'll look at the history and we'll also talk about the, the meaning of that location. Because in every place, Jesus was there for a purpose. And that was to accomplish the will and the plan of God. And so if you haven't picked up a devotional, like I said earlier, we have one that contains a brief reading. If you're worshiping with us on the radio and you need one, please let the church office know and we'll get you a copy. And the one thing I didn't mention is just a reminder, for those that would prefer an e-version of the devotional book, you can go and find them on Amazon and other e-book uh, readers. And I think they're $2 if you'd like to purchase it that way. Uh, it's whatever you prefer. So this morning we're going to be wrapping up our sermon series 
as we're looking at some of the shortest books in the Bible in the New Testament, these letters, while short, uh, have provided us a window into the challenges that the early church experienced and faced when it came to them staying on message and in defining what the essentials of the Christian truth and the Christian faith were. And so today's Christian uh, scripture reading comes from Philemon or Philemon, however you prefer to pronounce it, which interestingly enough is certainly one of the shortest books in the Bible, but interestingly enough, it is also the shortest book that the Apostle Paul wrote. If you read some of Paul's other letters, they're quite wordy. Paul definitely knows how to make his point come across, but in this letter, it's much shorter, it's much more concise. In the Greek, it's only 335 words, and in our Bibles, it's 25 verses. And so this letter is unique when you read it, and if we are to compare it to some of the other letters that we have read as part of this sermon series. The other letters that were written by Paul and Peter and John, if you think about it, were written to very specific communities in the church. Each of them dealt with specific issues or, or challenges that the church at that time was facing. And so the author was writing a letter to say, I hear this is your problem. Here's how I think you should resolve it. That's not the case with this letter. Because this letter is a little different, written to Philemon, because it's written to him. It's written to an individual. What we know about Philemon is that he was a wealthy individual who lived in the city of Colossae with his wife. If you look at the map that's on the screen, Colossae was in modern-day Turkey. It was about 100 miles from Ephesus. And it's believed that the early church in the city of Colossae actually met in the home of this man who this letter is written to. And so Philemon would have heard the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, likely by visiting the, the city of Ephesus, which is to my left, the green dot on the coast, and you'll see Colossae is the red dot uh, toward the middle of the map there. And so Philemon would have, would have come to Ephesus and visited and likely heard the preaching of Paul, experienced a conversion, and then took that message back to his home, back to his family, and back to his community. This letter was written in roughly uh, 60 to 61 AD. It was a time where Paul is, is imprisoned for the first time in the city of Rome. And so while written for an individual, this letter has consequences, not just for the man who it is written for, but it also has consequences for the entire Gentile community that are now followers of Jesus Christ. See, basically Paul wrote this letter and he's saying, I'm writing this to my dear friend Philemon, but he has every intent that this letter is to be read with the entire community. So it's to him with the intent that it be read and broadcast to everybody. John Knox, who was a, fam a famous Scottish minister and theologian who led the Protestant Reformation in England and who started the Presbyterian denomination, wrote this about this book of the Bible. He called it a letter to a church embodying a letter to an individual. And so what Knox is saying is really what, what we've just said is that while written to the individual Philemon, this letter is written to the larger group. And so the occasion for writing the letter is what makes this one unique. 
Like I mentioned a moment ago, Paul is in prison in Rome. And so he's there. We don't know how long he has been imprisoned. But he does end this letter by saying that soon he anticipates being released. And it's in every intent of his to visit the city of Colossae and the home of his friend and the recipient of this letter. And so during his time in prison, Paul has, has come in contact with a slave who's named Onesimus. Onesius, as we find out, is, is owned by this, this wealthy individual named Philemon in the city of Colossae. And Onesimus is with Paul. And while we don't know the reason, we know that Paul has to write a letter on his behalf. Now, Paul, in his words, says that Onesimus is a runaway slave. And so if you read different biblical commentaries, there's a couple of different ideas or prevalent themes that, that people think are the scenario that, that how it explains how Onesimus ended up with Paul. The first is that Onesimus had been sent by Paul to take supplies or some other communication from the church in Colossae and his owner Philemon. Onesimus then has overstayed his welcome He's been gone longer than was expected. And so there's a fear maybe in Paul's eyes that when Onesimus gets back, Philemon is going to have thought that Onesimus had fled. The second scenario is that Onesimus is a runaway slave. And then as a runaway, he, he probably took money and, and other food supplies from Philemon's house. And then he sought Paul out after his supplies ran out because he knew of the punishment that was going to happen to him. Because in biblical times, in New Testament times, in, in this time, slaves, when they ran away, were, were subject to extreme punishment when they ran away. I mean, just a whole varying of things, even up to death. And so there's many that believe that what Onesimus had done had fled. And then when he realized he didn't have any ways to make it or support himself, then he sought Paul out because he had heard Paul because he was likely traveling with Philemon when he went to Ephesus or had heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ when Philemon brought the message back to Colossae. Or the last scenario, which I think is the least likely, is that Onesimus had been arrested and was held in the same jail cell with Paul before he was to be sent back to Colossae. See, I think it's more the second one. Is that Philemon has, has experienced a slave that has fled. The slave has run out of his supplies or he has come upon Paul and he has realized that the decision that he has made is only going to end badly unless he finds someone who can make an appeal on his behalf. And so we know then that Onesimus, as we see in this picture, is with Paul. And this prison is Rome, in Rome, and Paul writes a letter to Philemon. Now see, where I think it's unclear is, is we don't know if Paul decided to write the letter or if Onesimus requested it of him since he knew the punishments that were before him as a slave. But what we know is that Paul wrote the letter where he asks Philemon to reconcile himself with his slave and to welcome Onesimus back into his home and in his service in the same way that Philemon would welcome Paul 
as if he were coming to visit. I mean, Paul says, therefore, I have enough confidence in Christ to command you to do the right thing. Although I'd rather appeal to you in love. I, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith during my time in prison. He was useless to you before, but now he is useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, which is like sending you my own heart. I considered keeping him with me so that he might serve me in your place during my time in prison because of the gospel. However, I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your act of kindness would occur willingly and not under pressure. Maybe this is the reason that Onesimus was separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, that is, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially a dearly loved brother to me. How much more can he become a brother to you personally and spiritually in the Lord? So if you really consider me a partner, welcome Onesimus as if you were welcoming me. If he's harmed you in any way or owes you money, charge it to my account. I, Paul, will pay it back to you. I'm writing this with my own hand. Of course, I won't mention that you owe me your life. Yes, brother, I want this favor from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I'm writing you confident of your obedience and knowing that you will do more than what I ask. Also, one more thing, prepare a guest room for me. I hope that I will be released from prison to be with you because of your prayers. Okay, so first of all, what a loaded letter that Paul has sent Philemon. Where he's appealing to love, where he is appealing to their relationship with Christ Jesus, where he's appealing to obviously this trust and the relationship that these two men have already have. And then as he appeals to that relationship, he inserts how Onesimus is to be welcomed back by Philemon. And so in our scripture this morning, we've read how, how Paul decides it's a better course of action to present Philemon an opportunity to provide an example for his faith and the way he welcomes Onesimus back into his home. See, Paul's saying that others can look to you and see your faith in the way that you choose to welcome your slave back. But you know, he doesn't tell Philemon in an outright manner that that's what he's supposed to do because in verse 8, he writes in one translation, in Christ, I could be bold and order you what you are to do. Or, you know, in my translation, it says, therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to command you to do the right thing. See, Paul's saying, I have the authority. I could tell you. I could direct you. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do the right thing. See, Paul's approach to Philemon is a positive one. Because he's encouraging him to welcome his slave back into his home in the same capacity that he had left. Paul knows who Philemon is. He knows that it is in our nature as humans to balk when we are told what we have to do. Especially when it's something that we don't necessarily want to do. 
And so it's not in our nature to do it without questioning. In fact, it's probably more in our nature, if you think about it, to, to just do it or to, to not do it or to withhold whatever we are being told to do. Rather than being telling um, Philemon what to do. What Paul does is he gives Philemon an opportunity to respond to the gospel that he has been given in Jesus or to choose how he is going to welcome Onesimus back into his home. Because that's what Paul offers him. And see, friends, that's the same thing that, that I think we can look at as we think of the grace and the mercy that God has offered us through Jesus Christ. Because it's in our nature for us to balk when, when we're ordered to do something, isn't it? I mean, if we're told you have to love Jesus, you have to offer God's grace to other people, you have to exhibit mercy in everything that we do, you know, our, our inclination is to do it or to do it grudgingly. But when we're given the opportunity to share and to bless others as a gift to them and as a response to God's grace, then it's our choice, isn't it? It's our choice to respond, and we're able to do so not as an obligation, but as a way that we demonstrate the love of God in our lives to others. See, Philemon gives us a picture of how we can look at our lives and of how we can see the opportunities that God has given us to respond to his grace and his mercy and to his love. Philemon gives us the opportunity to look and see of, of how we can fit into the larger plan of what God has in store for us. See, I think that's often a question that we have when we ask of, of different situations or decisions in our lives. When we ask if it's of God's plan for who we are and what's ahead of us. And see, Paul tells Philemon that perhaps Onesimus is running away was part of God's plan so that he could discover in himself the ability to be faithful and the ability to be generous and the ability to do something that was so counter to the culture of that time and to what was expected of him. Paul writes, what if it's in God's plan and purpose that, that Onesimus has run away? What if it's in God's plan that Onesimus was separated from you? See, friend, God uses all these different situations for his will and for his glory, even in our lives. Just as Paul told Philemon that God can use this time to demonstrate the glory of Christ, to demonstrate the mercy, and to show others what it means to love God and to love others in that same way. See, as we read this letter, I think we can see 
Or for me, it resonates the way that Paul says that God can use all of these situations as part of his plan and as part of his purpose. That God gives us the opportunity to respond to his mercy and to his grace. But most importantly, that we are able to receive these things. Not as a command. Not because we're forced to receive them. But because God offers them to us. Because he offers us his heart. And his son, Jesus Christ, who lived and who died so that we might live again.